<clears throat> Happy Lord's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We uh, thank God for godly mothers, godly wives. And um, I don't have a Mother's Day message for you, but we will look at a godly woman, which might be surprising when we first see her. I know that you're grieving as a church and as families. I don't have a message designed specifically to address God's comfort. And yet, I know and you know that there's nothing more comforting than the gospel uh, to uh, redeemed sinners, uh, to know that God has shown his love for us and his care for us uh, even in the midst of the greatest of trials and the greatest of griefs. He has proven to us, he has demonstrated to us his love for us in sending his son into the world to take our sins away. And so I've been asking myself for this last year, what is it that grabbed our hearts to make us love God? What what turned us from being a worshiper of self and a worshiper of this world and the things of this world to become a worshiper of God. We know that we're born with a with with enmity toward God, right? We believe that as churches, as those who study the Word of God, we, we understand that that when we came to Christ we didn't come because we were searching <clears throat> for God and and looking for God uh, because of of just how great we were or how intelligent we were. How was it? What was it that God used? And, and how, how does God cause his people to grow in grace and knowledge? What is it that he uses to cause us to, to continue to fall in love with him? You know, husbands, you've fallen in love with your wife. Uh, I think Gordon Taylor asked me once um, at my 25th anniversary party at Sycamore, which, by the way, he showed the picture of my wedding to the to the people, and he said to the congregation that Cindy married me on faith. Um, <clears throat> uh, I've never forgiven him for that. Um, but but he asked me in front of everybody when I fell in love with Cindy, and I I asked him which time because I've fallen in love with her several times in my in my 40, going on 47 years of marriage. Um, <clears throat> what causes us to, to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ again and again and again? <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to give you a proposition that I believe is true. You can see even in the reading of the word, uh, if you believe that that's true, that a believer's love for Jesus grows as he is humbled by God's grace. Or you could say it another way. A believer's love for Jesus Christ is the response to the forgiveness of his sins. So that how is it that God wins our hearts to himself? He forgives our sins. And how often is it that you've come again to the gospel and found that the the, this amazing truth uh, that you as a believer uh, know that you are still yet sinner. 
and yet you're saved by grace and and you go to him as a disciple and you say, teach us to pray. And he says, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven. And you stand in amazement again at the grace of God of all that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And I want to, want to prove this proposition that God wins our hearts by forgiving our sins <clears throat> By looking at three points, we're going to look at, strangely, nothing odd about my sermons, right? Uh, strangely, an illustration first. We have this illustrated. What, what is illustrated? The love of a sinner for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll have an explanation where Jesus actually gives a parable because there's a need <clears throat> for explanation, and we'll, we'll show that need. And then there's, at the end of our text, a revelation. There's several revelations as to the truth that, that um, this woman came to believe and that Jesus would have all of us to, to believe this morning. Um, so our text is, is Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And I think instead of reading the whole thing at once, I'm just going to read each section <clears throat> as we look at it um, point by point. So verses 36 to 38 is uh, the illustration. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. <clears throat> Here's an illustration of love for Jesus Christ. Now, we know that because Jesus will later tell us that she loved him. <laughs> so in case there's there's somebody with a stubborn heart or, or you're overcritical like me and you're thinking, well, how do you know that this is love for Christ? Well, Jesus says that it is. So here is, here is a picture of a woman who, who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just think about several of the, <clears throat> the aspects, the facets uh, of, of her particular love for Christ, that we might imitate and emulate this, this love for Jesus. That, first of all, it was a very bold love. This woman had a very bold love. Notice how <clears throat> Luke actually calls us uh, to see and to look at this. Verse 37, and behold, a woman. And behold, a woman. <clears throat> Here's a strange thing uh, in that culture <clears throat> that you could be invited over to someone's house to eat and other people who were not invited could come into that house and stand along the back wall. Isn't that strange? I, I would not prosper at a meal like that because my mama taught me don't eat in front of other people. And I would be so self-conscious. I, I think I would be like, you know, eating like 
perspective. And they, 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 what I've read is they could even enter into conversation with the people sitting at the table. Don't you find that odd? But what would really be odd is to have a woman in that culture come into another person's house and stand at that back, at, at the back of the wall. And what would be even stranger is if a sinful woman came into a Pharisee's house and stood behind him in that room at that dinner. So I say to you that the love of this woman for the Lord Jesus Christ was a very bold love for Christ. And when Luke says, Behold a woman who is a sinner, he almost implies that we should be surprised at what, at what we're seeing at, in this illustration. Um, this woman is a sinner. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what it was, but, but we know from what Luke says here and what the Pharisee, Simon, will say later, that she's a no, notorious sinner. People knew her to be a sinful woman. And that's going to be important as we, as we go to the second point. But we have to understand that when she came to this self-righteous, legalistic, religious leader's home, that she was a notorious sinner. That it was, would be known to everyone at that dinner that she was a sinful woman. She had a bold love for Jesus Christ. Secondly, she had a very exclusive love for Jesus Christ because you notice that Luke says that she came into this house because she knew that Jesus sat at the table and stood at his feet. So she bypasses the owner of the home. She bypasses the host of the meal. She bypasses the religious leader, the big shot, and goes right to Jesus Christ because that's where that's that's who she's loving that's who she's come to worship that's who she's come to be to show her thanks uh, for what she has heard about the Lord Jesus Christ it's a very reverent love for Jesus in fact the uh, verb tense that Luke uses when he describes this in verse 38, and stood at his feet, the word stood uh, it indicates that she hesitated. She stood there for a while. Perhaps she was wondering if the Lord would accept the affection for him that she was about to show him. Perhaps she was a little unclear in her own mind how it is that she should show this love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she, so she, uh, she hesitates and waits out of reverence for the Lord Jesus. That reverence is shown by the fact that she's weeping because she's in his presence. And she knows who she is, but she knows something of who Jesus is. And it causes her 
it causes her to weep. <clears throat> I, I say that her love was a very fervent love because the word weeping is really a, 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 it's not the word weeping, it's the word wash in verse 38. Stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet. At this time, she's still standing behind him and she is raining on his feet. That's her weeping. Um, it's the word, it's the Greek word for rain or the the Greek word for to wet. So as she stood there humbly loving this this man in, in front of her, <clears throat> she was raining tears on his feet. Um, and how was she wiping off that feet? Now she's stooped down and knows that she has rained, she's wet his feet with her tears. And what does she use? Uh, ladies, this isn't a Mother's Day sermon, but <clears throat> what's a woman's glory? Her hair. And so she wipes the feet of this man off with her hair. Now this is this is an act of Worship. It says that she kisses her feet. You know the word worship literally means to do reverence. And as people often worshipped men, worshipped emperors or kings, that they would stoop down and kiss either the ground or the hem of their garment or their feet to do reverence before them. That's what worship means. And so she has a very fervent love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the, the Bible tells us that beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. And here, my dear brothers and sisters, are the most beautiful feet because he is on a mission and he is on a mission that will end at the cross where he will take our sins away, you see. <clears throat> and so here, that's the best news. And here's the best news doer and the best news giver. And so she is washing and drying off his feet with her hair. And then it says, <clears throat> also to show how fervent her love for Christ is, it says that she had brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she began anointing his feet with the fragrant oil. Now, this <clears throat> oil is another bad interpretation, uh, bad translation of what that word was. It's, it's a perfume. It wasn't oil. It was a very volatile perfume. Uh, the alabaster jar was very expensive. It probably came from a city in Egypt. And so this woman, when she brought this, she's bringing a very expensive gift and using that to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this stuff was volatile. A little bit of it would just fill the room. And I'm telling you, now 
I, if I was at that dinner, I am very uncomfortable. Because first, I'm eating in front of these people, which my mommy told me not to do. And now the room is filled with this perfume that's so strong, I wouldn't be able to taste my food. I am upset. I would be extremely annoyed. I hope that he wasn't serving ribeye and uh, because it would ruin that dinner. But you know what? She wasn't there for me. She didn't care about ruining my meal. She cared about one thing, and that is to show her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She had a very bold, exclusive, reverent, fervent love for the Lord Jesus, and we can emulate her. Here's a godly woman. She's a sinful woman. She's a godly woman because she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other kind of woman. This is how God makes godly women. And this is what they look like. So if you want to know if there's a young man who's looking for a godly wife, this is what you're looking for. Not somebody who was never a sinner. Run away from that woman. And so secondly, the explanation. That's our illustration. Here's the explanation. Let's let's read verses 39 through 43. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. might have been the first time that this Pharisee had rightly judged. <clears throat> now, there's an explanation. Jesus gives this parable. Why is it important that there be an explanation? Well, for several reasons. First of all, um, <clears throat> it was necessary because of Simon the Pharisee. He had the wrong idea floating around in his mind. He had the wrong opinion of this woman. He said, she is a sinner. Well, that tells us and helps us to understand that everybody knew that this woman was a sinner, right? Well, of course she was a sinner. Our theology says, well, of course she is a sinner. But but here, what he has seen, you see, all he could see was a sinner. You see that? All he could see was that she was a sinner. But what God was seeing was her great love for Jesus Christ. And you see how blind we can be and how we can get it wrong, how we can interpret providence wrong. 
and be off, even though we think we know what's going on. Here was a self-righteous man. He knew what was going on. This is a sinful woman, and therefore, this man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who this woman was, what kind of a woman this, this woman was, who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And so, in his mind, his, his other opinion of Jesus Christ was completely wrong. If he were a prophet, he obviously is not a prophet because he doesn't know this woman. And the whole city knows who this woman is. He is the only ignorant man in this city. Actually, he was the only man in that city who did know that woman, right? How we can get that wrong. And so Jesus gives him a parable, but I want you to notice something in verse 40. I've seen this other times in the Word of God um, where a question is is asked to Jesus, and Jesus kind of gives them the answer and, and answers their prayer in a way that they're not expecting it. So it doesn't jump off the page. It doesn't... I don't think it even jumped into their minds until after his resurrection. But you notice that our text said that Jesus answered and said to him, verse 40, a class. What was Jesus answering? He was answering his thoughts because the text says that he said to himself, He spoke to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him. Well, newsflash, here is the prophet because he knew what Simon was thinking. And he read his mind. He knew what was in man. Jesus didn't need anybody to tell him what was in man. He knew it. He knew it. Simon was thinking. And so he answered Simon's thought. And he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he gives him this parable. And I believe that this short parable in Luke 7, uh, two, two verses, 41 and 42, is probably the Lord Jesus' favorite parable. I, I, I believe that it was. L- listen to basically... There's, there's four points in this parable. You've probably known this well. You've heard it before. That there is a certain creditor. And who is the creditor? It's God. It's God Almighty. It's God who owns all things. And if you and, and I have anything, that comes from Him. He owned it, and we've borrowed it. And if anybody owes anybody, it's we owe him everything. Amen? We owe him our next breath, the Scriptures teach. He gives us our next breath. When he determines that you've had enough, you've had enough breaths, he withholds it. I've used that illustration before, and some people in the congregation were holding their breath, wondering, Am I going to get another one? It comes from God. He owns all things. He owns all people. He stands in need of nothing. 
There's nothing that you and I can bring to him that he lacks. There's nothing that he needs from you and from me. But we need everything. And that comes from him. Even our next breath. But secondly, sin brings a debt. And that debt is something for which we have nothing to repay. Because that's what Jesus' parable says, right? They owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, there's nothing that we have to repay our God because of our sin. We can bring nothing to him that would satisfy the justice of God because of our sin. We owe him obedience. We owe him perfect obedience. We owe him reverence. We owe him thanksgiving for all things, and yet who are we? Sinners still. And we have nothing to repay. Say our works. (laughs) Our works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. Our fervency, (laughs) our love for him, which waxes and wanes and sometimes is just set in the wrong direction. We have nothing to repay. And thirdly, that this creditor, this great God that we have, this God that I think Jesus was boasting in, his father boasting in. This is the message that he brought into the world. This is the message that he took to the cross, that this God freely forgave them. He freely forgave them. They had nothing to repay. They never could repay it. And so this creditor freely Forgave. Now, God himself, you see, is free in all that he does. No one convinces him of anything. No one forces God to do anything. He's free. In other words, sending Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners was his idea. That, that came from him. You and I were in no position to ever ask him to do it. Neither did we have any clout with him that he would. This came from his heart. This came from the mind of God. He was free. It is his design. John 3.16 is his design. And then fourthly, the love for the creditor. Notice that... Jesus asked the Pharisee, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered correctly, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. The one who had so much debt, more debt than the other one, and and this creditor freely forgave him. He loved that creditor more because he owed him so much. And yet all of it was forgiven. Now, the parable helps you and I in our native self-righteousness to understand that the creditor did not forgive the debt because he loved him. Amen? Amen? 
Am I am I just a butcher today? <laughs> Not listening. <clears throat> the love for the creditor came after the forgiveness. Do you see that? That's very important. Because this Jesus isn't teaching by this parable that we're saved by our works. We're saved by our love. Our sins are forgiven because we love God. This this parable is telling us that we love God because he has forgiven our sins. Amen? Amen. You see that? Okay. So, love is not the cause. Love is the effect. Love comes after the forgiveness. Love is a response. So, I'm going to see if we're still awake. We love him because... Why am I here? You have no need of me. He first loved us. There's the heart of God for his people. Love is not the cause. We need to remember that. Love is the effect. Love comes as a response in a redeemed heart to the forgiveness of its sins. And so we've looked at the illustration and the explanation, and now let's look at the revelation Um, to the end of the chapter, uh, starting at verse 44. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine having the Lord Jesus say to you, your sins are forgiven? Can you imagine that? (laughs) He has. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus saying to a sinful woman, your faith has saved you? He has in the gospel. And and something that doesn't come out in our text is that this truth, that her sins had been forgiven. When it says her sins are forgiven, that is in a perfect tense, which means This action took place in the past and it has continuing, present, and forever continuing effects. So her her sins were forgiven before she came to the Pharisee's house. Her sins were forgiven before she got that alabaster jar in her hands. Her sins were forgiven before she had the thought, I need to go and love this Lord Jesus. Whoever he is, I'm sure she didn't have much theology 
But what she had, she came to the Lord Jesus and gave him all she had before she came. And that's what the parable says, right? It helps us because our self-righteousness will say, well, you know, and I can see how some, some would interpret and some do interpret this, that by her love for Christ, her sins were forgiven. No, her sins had been forgiven when she heard the gospel, heard Jesus himself preaching, heard his disciples preaching, heard John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And she believed. And when she believed, her sins were forgiven. And now she's here to show love to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first revelation, that her sins were pardoned before she came in. Was she a sinful woman? Not like the Pharisee thought. Here's a godly woman, believing, trusting, and showing love to Christ. Secondly, her many sins were forgiven. Verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many, it's literally in the Greek, the many sins of hers. (laughs) Aren't you glad of that? All of them, the many sins of hers. Not just some of them. I don't know about you, I need all of mine forgiven. And all of her sins were forgiven. That's the second revelation. The third revelation is that she was justified by her faith. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He says, your sins are forgiven. Who who told her that her sins are forgiven? The great high priest that God had appointed and God had anointed and God had sent into the world, he proclaimed that her sins were forgiven. It didn't matter about Simon's opinion. It wouldn't matter about my opinion. My whole meal's ruined. I don't really like the whole thing anyway. But what mattered is that the high priest declared that her sins were forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Who said, who told her that her faith has saved her? The judge of all the earth. That's who I want to hear those words coming to me. It doesn't matter whether someone else says your faith has saved you. What matters is that the judge, the one before whom all of us will stand one day, proclaims that our faith has saved us and that we're in a right relationship with God. So we have this Amazing text of Scripture. An illustration, an explanation, and revelation. And there's more that we could see. There's more that's revealed, but we'll stop there. So, what do you see? You know, this this is a story of the righteous, the self righteous, and the sinner. Which one are you? Which one are you? Because there's the three. Or we could we could put it another word. This is a story of the righteous. There's only one righteous. A story of the self-righteous. And a story of the declared righteous. Right? Declared by God. Which one are you? What do you see 
in Jesus Christ. Simon, what do you see in, in, in Jesus Christ? Simon saw an ignorant man. That's all he saw. Isn't that amazing? How blind we are. Others, when they looked at Jesus, they saw a blasphemer and a Sabbath breaker and they crucified him. What do you see in Jesus? This woman saw a Savior and she worshipped him and loved him. And she had a great love for him because she had a great many sins and all of them were forgiven. Some people don't like the, the gospel. They, they're so in tune with the idea that we work for our salvation. Us Americans, I don't know how we could hold that anymore. Us Americans work for what we have. I don't think so. Maybe a little fraction. <laughs> but that's ingrained in our hearts before God, if there is a God and whoever he is, that we're going to make ourselves right with him by the things that we do. And the Bible just won't let us believe that, will it? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so you, there might be somebody that even says, I am too sinful. There might be a young person who was raised in this church and you've heard the gospel all your life and you say, I don't think that God would accept me. I don't think that he would receive me. And yet Jesus gives us this parable and he says that these two men who, who owed him more than they could ever repay, God freely forgave. You know, you might have something to stand on in your unbelief if it weren't for that parable, if it weren't for this truth, that no one can have anything to repay God with. And yet there's going to be a multitude in heaven whose sins are forgiven, who God saves and brings to himself. So too sinful, no such thing. It's impossible because this is who Jesus was bragging about, his father forgives those who come to Jesus Christ in faith. And, and this was Jesus' mission. Jesus, the reason he came here. Do you think that any of us could figure out who God was <laughs> by ourselves? No. No. Some of us don't even know that that vegetables are a side dish. How could we figure this out? <laughs> be impossible to know God, to know how to get to Him, to know how to please Him, to know and be assured that we are His child. That that all comes from heaven. That all comes from Jesus' mission to come into the world to be the Word of God, that, that Word that has come from the bosom of the Father and who exegetes or explains who God is. 
So that if you want to know who God is, then look at Jesus. You have nothing to pay. But he freely forgives. Freely forgives. And secondly, what we should learn from this. Dear brother and sister, we never grow out of our need of a Savior. We rather grow into our need of a Savior. Right? I mean, when I, when I came to Christ, is it true with you? I mean, when I came to Christ, so glad, you know, how, how gracious did that, how, what's the song? <laughs> Amazing grace. How, 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 help me. How gracious was that, did that grace appear the hour I first believed? How wonderful. <laughs> Somebody tell me the word afterwards, will you? And, and yet, thank you. Thank you. How precious did that grace appear. I should never do that. I should read my sermon. It's much more precious today than the hour I first believed. Is it for you? Of course, because you find out that God continues to forgive your sins, right? And and he not only won your heart the hour you first believed, but he continues to win your heart. He continues to take ground. He continues to to win more and more of that of that soil of the heart so that we become greater lovers of Jesus Christ years after. And is it because we're without sin? No. It's because we understand our sin more. It's because sin has appeared to be sin, as Paul says in Romans 7. We, we've come to know more about God. We saw God, I, I, I guess I saw God as, what, seven foot tall. And now He's infinite. And the infinite loves you. <laughs> Can you wrap your mind around that? The infinite sent His Son into the world, took upon Himself our nature, yet without sin, suffered and died for us rebels who hated Him, who were born in enmity against God. There was nothing that we could do. And yet He saved us. He saved us while we were yet sinners. He saved us while we were yet shaking our fists at Him. And every time as a believer that we sin and God brings that to our mind, that shaking fist, the idea that it's still there, the idea that we still rebel against one who has loved us so perfectly in Jesus Christ, one who has adopted us as his own children, and yet we sin, and yet those sins are forgiven. And so he takes more ground and he wins us all the more. And so finally, I'd just like to close with one last application. Your love for Jesus Christ may be misunderstood by others. 
and you might be ridiculed and looked down upon and spoken of, and perhaps everybody thinks that this is exactly how you should live your life. And my wife and I are getting old enough that our children are telling us, um, this is an illustration of, of somebody hating our love for Christ. I'm very thankful for God's salvation in my children's lives. But we're getting old enough that our children are starting to tell us, well, this is how you should live your life. <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. I ain't dead yet. That's what I want to tell them. They will misunderstood your love for Jesus Christ. And don't let that discourage you. So some people... Maybe your loved ones. Well, why? Why do we go to church? I remember, I remember giving you the, my son's testimony, Jeremy's testimony, many, many years ago of uh, when he came to Christ. And I forgot why I wanted to tell you that. <laughs> he used to complain. Can you imagine? Mary Ellen, my son would complain that we were at church so long. Why are, we at church? Why are we at church so long? And when he came to Christ, I remember leaving one Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I wasn't the last one out besides the pastor. Jeremy was. <laughs> and yet, why do you go to church? Why do you spend so much time in church? You see. You don't get your encouragement from the people who do not understand your love for Jesus Christ. Love Christ. Obey Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. And don't be discouraged. Even as this woman did not let any of this discourage her, she had one person in mind. It was the Lord Jesus. To him she went. To him she poured out her love. And from him She heard those beautiful words. Your sins have been forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. May the Lord Lord save us. May the Lord teach us and help us and draw near to us. Let's pray.